Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. <laughs> We're talking about transformation tonight. Transformation is our title. And our first text is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I believe we know it all. You probably can quote it. But we'll put it up there for you to see. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or creation or new species that never before existed. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Notice old things are passed away. Keep that thought in mind. Passed away. Paul calls everybody who is in Christ a new creation or a new creature. Why? Because old things passed away in your spirit. First of all, you pass from death to life. Death passed away. It's gone. If you've been born again, you've been born out of death into life. And you have life in your spirit. That's your spirit nature right now. But of course, since we're a tripart being, spirit, soul, and body, we've got the soul to deal with. And we've got the body to deal with. And the Lord kind of spoke this to my heart. There's some things that got to pass away in your emotions. Some things that you got to have some funeral services for some things the way you think. Your perspective, the way you think, your thoughts and that sort of thing. So uh, he's urging us to conduct some funeral services with regard to the way we think. Our motives, our attitudes, our perspective on life and that sort of thing. Well... Paul was one who's a classic example of this because he, as you know, being a Jew, was out to destroy Christianity. But when he saw Jesus on the Damascus Road, he was transformed and changed. Everything about him changed. His thoughts, his mindset, his attitude, his perspective, his view of Christianity, his view of Judaism, his view of Jesus, all changed. He was a transformed individual, instantly in spirit. But the soul and the body, we're talking about time. We're talking about sanctification. We're talking about presenting our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. And we're talking about renewing our minds to the word of God so we can pass out of the way we think into the way that God wants us to think. You know, Christianity, as we know, is not a religion. It is a relationship. It's a relationship with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ who came to reveal him to us. And what changed this man who was so on fire to destroy Christianity? He saw Jesus. God is speaking to my heart about us all really taking the time to let Jesus know, I really want to see you. I really want to experience you. Oh, I know I've been born again. But you know, you've been born again for a certain amount of time, but it's very easy to let some of those things slip. He wants us to really experience him. Fall in love with him all over again. And just love on him. And thank him so much for all that he's done for us. Get to a place that we have conversations and we talk things over. We have intimacy with him in fellowship and just experience him in a very vital 
and personal way. And let them know, I don't want to just learn Scripture. I want to live Scripture. I don't want to just know the truth. I want to be able to live the truth. Right? Walk in the light as he is in the light. I want to do that. I want to walk in the light of your love. In the light of your revelation. Of all that you have done for me. Because I appreciate so much the sacrifice that you made. Look in the book of Proverbs. In chapter 16. If he could be changed so dramatically. By that experience of seeing Jesus. So can we. But you know we have to let him know. Jesus every day. I want to walk step in step with you. Hand in hand with you. I really want to experience you. Within me. And by my side as I live out this day for you. I believe that he has saved us so that we could rise up above sin. Rise up above selfishness. Rise up above circumstances and anything we can face in this life. And he'll empower us to do so if we so desire. You know we say greater is he that's in us. We've got to mean it. You're greater in me. You're greater in me. And your greatness in me will help me to be a better person, a better husband, a better father, a better whatever in this life. In Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The apostle Paul, of course he was Saul then, thought he was doing the right thing. He was a zealot, zealous to destroy Christianity, as we said, and he really thought he was doing the right thing. You know, you could be on the wrong road, the road to destruction, and not even realize it, and not even know it. I know when I was in religion, I was on that road to destruction, and I didn't even know it. Can you imagine driving down a highway with a bridge out, and there's no sign telling you there's a bridge out, and you don't know there's a bridge out, and there's about a 300-foot drop? Imagine that. We've all probably were there at one time in our lives. The bridge was out. We didn't even know it. Aren't you glad you didn't die before someone came along to tell you about Jesus? Well, the apostle Paul here, he thought he was doing the right thing, but he wasn't. For him, all things passed away. Can you imagine that statement for the apostle Paul when he got saved, when he saw Jesus on the Damascus road, he saw that bright light? Everything changed. His perspective changed. His heart attitudes changed. His motives changed. Now think about this statement. You know how people today we're all talking about, oh, there's one God. Doesn't matter how you serve him. There's many ways to get to the same God. He's the same God. You can be this, you can be that. And named all these different religious groups and all that. If that were true, then why did he have to pluck him out of Judaism to put him in and do what he did? Can I say that again? If that were true, why did he get this man who was a zealot for Judaism, pull him out of there, get him born again, spirit-filled, and tell them you've got to suffer great things for my name's sake. And go preach the gospel to both the Jew and the Gentile. If that were true. So apparently Jesus didn't think that was true. I know he didn't. Because he said I am the only way, truth, and life. And nobody comes to the Father. How? Except by me. Right? So think about that. He is the only way. And that is the truth. Praise God. And so we thank God that we know the way. I don't know about you, but... I know, I am. 
Are you? Praise God. Well, the same thing is true with us. Every single one of us should feel the same way and act the same way. It should be a transformation as it was in his life, in our life. I'm no longer the person I used to be. I'm dead and my life is hid with Christ in God. I'm alive to him and dead to self. You know, the scripture says deny yourself, not deny the devil. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me is what Jesus told us. Deny ourselves the right to live independent of God. Deny ourselves the right to have our own way. Deny ourselves the right to be hurt and feel hurt when people wrong us. You know why? Because you're dead. Dead people don't hurt. Dead people don't feel. You let love prevail. You love as he loved you. You care for other people. You take the higher road. Why? You have an ultimate goal in mind. You want to lead them to Christ. You want to let them see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You want them to see the goodness of God because that's what leads people to repentance. And so you're, you live your life in a transformed manner. You follow his example. Remember Jesus said, be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. And how did he say to do that? Love your enemy. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those that despise use and abuse you. Speak well of those that speak evil of you that you may be perfect or spiritually mature as your Father in heaven is perfect. What a goal to achieve. I want to be like my Father God. I want to be like my Father God. I want to follow the example of my Lord. Beloved, I believe that Jesus wants transformed lives. And we're living at a time right now where I believe his return is imminent, don't you? I believe he's coming again soon in clouds of glory. But you know what? I want to be as best prepared as I possibly can. I want to be walking hand in hand with him, step by step with him, in complete harmony with him living my life in active obedience to his will for my life and doing what he has called me to do. What about you? Look at Romans 8.29. In Romans 8.29 we have a wonderful, wonderful scripture that tells us what true Christianity is all about. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The firstborn Wow, what a statement. Christianity is all about transformation and conforming to the image of Jesus. It's not just about going from here to there and different places just to get as much as we possibly can while the scriptures are detached from our lives. It's about getting to a place that we get our faces before God and just say, you know what? I've got some work to be done in my life. I want to be that better person. I want to be that better father or husband and father. I want to be that better worker. I want to represent you so well that when people see me, they're influenced by the Christ who is in me. I want to be like the person that we talked about on Sunday. You know, his air freshener. And when he comes, someone comes along and life squeezes you, people at work squeeze you, nothing comes up but this fragrance of the aroma of Christ. This kind of flows out of you. You know, it's when they see you being different. When they realize your language is different, your speech is different, your attitude is different, you keep things under control, and they see you living a lifestyle that they've never seen before from other people. Hey, what's with you? Why are you like this? You should be so furious, infuriated, upset, etc., etc. You know what? Because I don't hurt anymore because I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I live this life in the flesh by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he did that for me, I can do this for him. Then I what? Self. 
Take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself the right to live independent of God. Take up your cross, submit your will, and surrender your heart and life to him. And follow me. Allow him to make you the person he wants you to be. That's what he meant when he said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And he wants all of us to do that. Because why? I, I do believe that he just wants to man himself, manifest himself in us and through us in a more powerful and glorious way, don't you? And don't you want to be that vessel of honor? Meet and prepared for the master's use? I know I do. We all should want that. You know, it's more than just getting what I can get. I'll be honest with you. It's giving what I can give. And when we live our lives to give what we can give, you'll be amazed how much you'll get in return. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Men will pour forth into your bosom. You give love, you reap love. You give mercy, you reap mercy. You give forgiveness, you receive forgiveness. Amen. And that's how he wants us to live. Look at 2 Corinthians. This life is all about loving God. It's all about loving people. It's about being a witness for Christ, an ambassador for him, representing him well upon the earth. This is chapter 5 again, but pick it up at verse 18. You're a new creature, a new creation in Christ, a new species that never before existed. Actually, we should actually look like that to people. Man, you are so different. One thing that I, it really it stuck with me, that all this whole situation with Andrew, was when we were in that room and those two doctors said, he can die in your arms, he could die in there, in, a sur in surgery. And we said, doctors, that's okay, do what you have to do. And he looked and said, you people are different. There's something different about you. We weren't panicking. Uh, were the feelings inside you? Yes. Was fear trying to grip you? Yes. Was there concern for your child's life? Absolutely. But we remained poised, and we believed that when we asked God to give him a new artery, that he heard us. And that he was moving on it. And so we just said, you do what you have to do. You people are different. We should be different. When the enemy tries to push our buttons, we should be different. Amen? Walk in love as he loved us. In this verse of scripture, all things are of God. Now that we're born again, all things are of God and we're tr living transformed lives. Who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry. We're all in the ministry. The ministry of reconciliation. To wit or to make it known to the world that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. In other words, bringing them together in peace and harmony. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. That's representatives of the highest order. As though God did beseech you by us we pray you in Christ that be reconciled to God why because can we bear this he made him to be sin for us let that sink in God made him to be sin actual sin not a sin but sin all that sin is. All that sin represents. And we don't know the depth of it. We only know the price that was paid for it. He made him to be sin for you and for me. Why? So that we would be made the righteousness of God in Christ. What a price he paid. 
Oh my, we should take a moment and thank him. Can we do that? Lord, thank you. You were made sin for every one of us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, how we thank you for the price that you paid, your willingness to be made something as horrific as sin, the Holy One of God, the sinless one of God made sin for us. And that was the only way we could be saved and be reconciled to God. My, do you thank him for that tonight? Whew. It's not a religion. It's more than that. Wow. See, it's more than the confession of faith. It's a transformation. It's seeing that reality and accepting it, understanding it, and inviting him in our hearts to take over our lives. It's called complete surrender to him. Notice, we're representatives of the highest order, and we're here on this earth to make it known to people everywhere we go. And this is the simplicity of witnessing. Hey, by the way, did you know that God loves you? What? God loves you. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You know, there are so many hurting people in the world. And all of us, they're all around us. Everywhere we go in life. At a gas station, at the mall, grocery store, wherever, wherever we go. If we would just take the time to tune in and think about it, I'm telling you, let someone know that God loves you and that God cares about you. Has a wonderful plan for your life, a beautiful plan for your life. You know, they may reject you. They may not. You may bring them to tears because they may be longing to hear that. How many times, you know, you say that to somebody and they go, I needed to hear that. I needed to know that. Anybody here want to be a vessel of honor? You want God to flow through your life? Then we've got to make ourselves aware of the fact that we are his ambassadors. And everywhere we go, we have the ability and really we have the, the calling upon our lives as ministers of the gospel to share Jesus in a very simplistic way. Simply saying God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. When that guy chewed me out over at the uh, cleaners and wanted to, you know, run me over with his car and humiliated me in front of all the people that were there and the real big guy, you know, six foot five, five foot six, just the reverse of those numbers and, and uh, just went off on me. Didn't even know I did something to upset him. But I just looked at him and I said, you know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Oh, I'm telling you, it's just like a, a wall went up. He just stood there, got real quiet, didn't say anything at all from that point on. It's impacting. When you share the love of God and you share the word of God with people, it's impacting. So you see, what I'm saying is it's not just about I'm saved and I go to church. It is an everyday lifestyle. It involves us personally in our marriage, with our family, with our children, in the workplace, 
wherever we go, whatever we do, God wants us to let our light shine among men. Don't put a bushel over our heads. This flesh is really the bushel that hides the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. But let it shine through our lives by renewing our minds. Once again, that's a process. I understand that. But transformation means I renew my mind to the word of God, find out what God says about me, and I begin to look to the spirit of God to what mold me, conform me, change me to the very image of Jesus Christ as we live our lives upon the earth. Look at Romans chapter 5. Jesus paid our sin debt for us. And I don't know about you, but oh, thank you, Jesus. You paid my sin debt, and I'm free. In Romans 5, beginning at verse 6, for when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for good people. Who did he die for? I know when you put on the news and you see some of these horrific acts of people and you'd like to judge them yourself and punish them yourself and execute them yourself and wouldn't be near as merciful as God is, right? Because of what they do. But you know what? Jesus died for the ungodly. We can't love other people the way God wants us to until we see how he loved us individually so much. It's easy to love others when we realize how loved we are by God. It's easier to show mercy when we realize what kind of mercy we've been shown. It's easy to dole out forgiveness when we recognize how much we've been forgiven. It's so important for us to recognize how much we've been loved by God. Having that deep revelation of his love, really, that's what sparks and triggers off faith. Faith works by love. And when we know how much God loves us, we have the faith to say to someone else, God loves you so much. He wants to help you. He wants to heal you. He wants to deliver you. I remember working in a mill one time when this fellow was going home from work because he had a very painful stomach. Brother Jose and I just stopped and said, hold on just a minute before you go. God loves you. God cares about you. Can we pray for your stomach? Laid hands on his stomach. He was instantly healed by the power of God. And he thanked us and said, I'm still going home. I had my pass to go home. I'm not going back to work. (laughs) Well, he already had his belongings. He was out the door. He said, I'm not coming back. But he was instantly healed by the power of God. It's when we get a revelation of how much God loved us in Christ that we can see how we can love other people the same way. When a husband sees how much God loves him, then he loves his wife like Christ loved the church. That's what he sees. Loving him back, loving her the way Christ loved him. And as he loves himself. So, It's up to us to recognize it. Let's read on. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would dare to die. But God introduced or commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, 
much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. I once shared this with an individual when the individual said to me, how do you know that we're going to go up in a rapture and we're not going to suffer the wrath of God in the seven years of tribulation? And I believe the person was looking for a very lengthy theological answer, you know, about eschatology and time events and that sort of thing. And I said, because he loves us. And it was like, well, that's not good enough. Well, what do you want? Line upon line, precept upon precept. We go into Daniel 70 weeks and explain all that in the rapture being you know, pre-trib and, and, and everything like that. But I said, because we're not appointed to wrath. We, you see, we have minimized the fact that we are sons and daughters of the most high God. Do we realize that? What would you do for your son or your daughter? How much more? How much more? Can you calculate that? So we're not appointed to wrath. If we were reconciled to him by his son through his death, when we were ungodly sinners, how much more, he says, will we be saved from the wrath to come? I'm not going to be here. The ones that believe it, they can stay if they want. I'll tell you what. I'll take, if there's snacks on the way up there, I'll take your snack. <laughs> Is that okay? Now, we know that God is all power, don't we? We know that our God is all-knowing. He has all power. He has all knowledge. He has the ability to be omnipresent everywhere at the same time. Figure that one out if you want to figure out God, right? But God is love. Not that he has love. He is love. Jesus was love personified. Love in a human body. And as we follow him through the Gospels and we see his attitude toward humanity, you can't help but to fall in love with him. I told you the first time I read Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, I can still see myself doing it. That big, big old string chain, it was a chain to keep, bring my water up 30 feet down. I'm pulling it up, pulling it up, pulling it up to get a glass of water. And Jose and his brother Raul put a New Testament, which I still have in my dresser at home, full of graphite and dirt, and pulled that baby up all the way up, looked at it. They looked at me and walked out. And they said, as they were walking out, look back, they said, look like your cab lit up when you pulled that into your crane cab. Like a light just went off. And I started reading there in Matthew. I got to Matthew chapter 4, and I'm telling you, my knees hit the floor. I began to weep before God because I never saw Jesus as a healer. I read those words that said they brought to him every person that was sick with all kinds of diseases and sicknesses, and he healed them, every one of them. And it just hit me in such a way. It impacted me in such a way that, wow. And as I began further reading, you know, you can't help but get Matthew to chapter 8 and 9 when you see all these miracles. The leper that was healed 
the Roman centurion's son that was healed. Peter's mother-in-law got healed. And then all that came to him in the evening in Matthew 8, 16, 17, every single one of them healed, delivered, and set free. And then everywhere he went, chapter 9, blind men, they came. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Multitudes, masses of people. And then the Syrophoenician woman comes to him, the woman with the issue of blood, and Jairus comes to him, and he raises his daughter, daughter up. And then they bring him up on a mountaintop. As he goes up there, all these people, the blind, the deaf, the dumb, and the maimed, they're all made whole, delivered, and set free, and many others with other conditions. And I was overwhelmed by the fact that, whoa, this is Jesus that I never knew. Religion never taught me that. I never knew that. I'll tell you what, I read my Bible, and I start seeing that, and I just, I wept and just thought, oh my, I don't really know you. I want to know you. And I found out later on, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's no different today than he was then when he walked on this earth. I listened to an interview. won't mention the minister's name, but the individual, the interviewer, uh, Pierce, Morgan, Morgan. yeah, he was interviewing a minister, and he was really trying to get him to commit himself on, on gay marriages, you know, and the preacher's just saying, well, the Bible teaches, you know, this, yeah, but you know what, w what was written way back when, this is a new culture, this is a different culture, shouldn't the Bible be progressive, and adapt to the times that we're living in? And you think about this, you, you think about the mentality of people that are lost. But they think they know God, they think they know the Bible, but they really don't. You see, God, if he created us, let's just be reasonable here and logical for a moment. If he created us, we owe our lives to him. We owe our existence to him. Without him, we don't live, we don't breathe without him. He who made us, who created us, has a right to govern us and establish laws by which we are to be governed. And yet this person is thinking that, well, this is the book that's, it's the Bible, yes, but it should be progressive enough to change with the times and we can see the day in which we're living in these things that are changing in our culture and all that. What's that got to do with it? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever and always. I am the Lord, I change not, he says in Malachi, right? He's always the same. He's not going to change. It's up to us to live our lives accordingly, not to change because of culture. So, in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 29, here's a verse that is very... Uh, impacting it should be the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and he and says to him behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world what did he come to do take away the sin of the world to remove it and take away what owned humanity well what owned us sin did Sin had dominion over us. You know, we couldn't help but to sin. It was our master. We were slaves to it. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 7? 
Every time I want to do right, I do wrong. What I, want to, what I know is wrong, and I shouldn't do it, but I still do it. He kept on warring with all this back and forth in Romans chapter 7. Who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? He wants to take me down the wrong path, lead me around, astray down the wrong way. But thanks be unto God. Thanks be unto God. Hallelujah. In Christ, there is no condemnation. In Christ, and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed me from the law of sin and death. And it's the picture of a person who killed someone back in the Roman days. And when they did, he says he's tied to the body of his flesh. What he was saying was this. When a Roman, when a person kills someone, Roman punishment was they would take the person that was dead and tie it to the person that killed him. Tie the dead body to him until the body destroyed his body. Can you imagine dying that kind of death? Imagine that. So what Paul was saying was this. We've been born again, but we've got this body that we're tied to. It doesn't always want to do right. Remember Paul said, I used to beat up my body every day to keep it under control. Remember he said that? Give it a good whipping. Why to keep it under? Because if I don't, it wants to dominate me. It wants to control me. Well, sin has no more dominion over us because Jesus took it away. He took away the power of sin. Sin has no dominion, no authority over us to rule our lives any longer. And it's a lie for us to think that it does. When someone says, I just can't help myself. Yes, you can. You're just looking for help in the wrong places. There is a Holy Ghost who wants to help us, a helper, a strengthener that will impart to us and infuse within us all that is necessary for us to rise up above whatever challenges we face in this life. Amen. Look at 1 Peter 2.24. Who his own self bear our sins, substitution, in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sin, we're dead to sin. You know what that means? Your fill baths don't get, they don't hurt anymore. When someone hurts you, you say, too late, I'm dead. Can't hurt me anymore. I'm dead. I'm dead to all that stuff. That we being dead to sin should live to righteousness by whose stripes he were healed. So let's not forget the first part of that verse because it's impacting and powerful. If we want his stripes to bring healing to us, then you know what? We've been dead to sin, so we live to righteousness. We live to righteousness. We walk in righteousness. We carry out what is right in the sight of God. His stripes heal us. Praise God and make us whole. Now the cross is a beautiful thing. But I think the emphasis for the most part has been on the fact, in the fact that on the cross he bore our sin. And we thank God that he did. He bore our sin, sickness, mental anguish, and carried our pain. Became the curse for us on Calvary's tree. And it reveals to us the penalty of sin. And how awful sin is in the sight of God. And the punishment due mankind. But you know what? It also reveals our value, your worth. Think about it. You are like the pearl of great price. You are so valuable to the living God. You are so special to the living God that he sent his son from heaven to come to the earth and take your place on that tree to reconcile you back to himself. He paid the price of his blood. That's your value and that's 
your worth. So if you ever hear yourself saying, well, why would God love someone like me? Stop right there. Stop right there. Don't talk like that for a moment. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about what we've done or what we didn't do. Because before you and I were ever born, he already did it. He loved you unto death before you and I were ever thought of in our parents' lives. Before we were born, he demonstrated his awesome love for every single one of us. And really, it's a slap in the face to him if we say, oh, does God care about me? Don't talk like that. Don't invite those lies of the enemy to make you think you can't walk right with God, you can't live right for God. You can. And God accepts you in the beloved. You're accepted, praise God. You may not be accepted by, by people here in the earth, on, in this world that we live in, but you are accepted in the beloved with all the saints in glory. And that's who you are. You're his masterpiece. You're his handiwork, praise God. Don't buy the lie of the devil. Look in Proverbs 4 and verse 7. Very important. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Nothing is more important than getting understanding and wisdom. You know, we want to get a lot of things. Remember, wisdom was what Solomon asked for, and he knew the value of it. He knew the importance of it. Well, we can thank God for his favor. We can thank God for his blessings and all the wonderful things, healing and, and financial prosperity and all the things that he's provided for us in this life, but nothing is more important than getting understanding. He makes it very clear to us. Why? Because the language you and I were trained by in this world when we were growing up is not the language of the Bible. Like what you don't know won't hurt you. Did you ever hear that one? Well, Hosea 4.6 disagrees with that statement. Because what does it say? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. What you don't know won't hurt you? Oh, yes, it will. If you don't know there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun, if you don't know you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God, if you don't know it's not good enough just to be religious, but you have to be righteous and right standing with God by the blood of Jesus Christ, See, there's a lot of things if we don't know. If you don't know he bore your sin, sickness, and carried your pain, became the curse for you on Calvary's tree. If you don't know the Holy Ghost is ever present to help you, to fill you, to overflowing with the glory of God, the power of God, the impartation of his anointing, then you know what? Lack of knowledge is destroying people. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, and thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. So it can be very damaging unlike what the world teaches. What about this one? Don't get your hopes up. Anyone ever hear that one when you were growing up? Don't get your hopes up. Why not? Well, we don't want you to have a big fall. Well, you know what? Proverbs 13, 12 disagrees with that one. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire cometh, it's a tree of life. Faith is the evidence of things not seen, right? Hope, uh, evidence things hoped for, the Evidence of things not seen. It's the substance of what you hope for. So if there's no hope, don't get your hopes up. No, the Bible says get your hope as high as you possibly can. 
You have a hope of being translated with him in glory. We have a hope of being as he is. As he is, so are we in this world. He that has his hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. So hope is an essential part of our walk of faith. It's the goal setter. My desire is to be like him. If we don't have that desire, then our faith will not have anything to give hope, to give substance to. Because it gives substance to our hope. And I have this hope in me, don't you? And what about this one? What you see is what you get. <laughs> what you see is what you get. Well, 2 Corinthians 4.18 disagrees with that one. Look what it says. While we look not at things that are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal or subject to change, but the things that are not seen are eternal, praise God. So in other words, it says, look, stop looking at what you see and look beyond what you see. Have your eyes open up to see there's something more, praise God, and greater than what we see. So we can't go by that. See, we were homeschooled in the wrong home. You realize that? No question about it. As a result, we need deprogrammed and reprogrammed so we can think the way God wants us to think, so we can experience the things that God wants us to have. It's important that we do our part. What about that one that we always hear? What will be, will be. Que sera, sera. What will be, will be. Well, look at Matthew 16, 19 and tell me if that's true. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you have loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. That's not saying what will be, will be. It's saying what you bind will be bound. What you loose will be loose. It's up to you to do your part. Take authority over a thing and praise God. Release the power of God from heaven in your situation. Whatever it might be. And you make it line up with the word of God. And the will of God for your life. If we trek through life saying what will be, will be. You know there's nothing you can do about it. Then you know what? The devil will have a heyday with you. And bring destruction your way. Life isn't our teacher. Circumstance isn't our teacher. You know who our teacher is? What's his name? Look at Matthew 11 and 28 through 30. Matthew 11. Jesus said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and notice these next words, and learn of me. Oh my, Jesus, we want to learn of you. For I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. He wants us to learn of him. He is our great teacher. He is the revelation of truth. He came as the truth. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. And he wants us to walk in the light of truth. And so it's up to us to learn from him. Look at John chapter 1. When I read this, this is so important. We use this verse all the time during Christmas time when we talk about the incarnation in verse 14. And for some reason, the latter part of the verse seems to be kind of left out. But let's not do that tonight. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Did you notice they go together? Grace, and not just full of grace, period but full of grace and truth. You know, grace empowers us to live out the truth. And this, once again, this extreme grace teaching misses this right here. Grace teaches us to deny ungodliness 
and to live sober, live righteous, holy in this present age in which we are living right now. It takes grace that empowers us to live out the truth of God's word. So once again, we're not doing it in our own strength or ability, but daily it should be our prayer. Lord, Jesus came full of grace and truth. Help me live out truth by your grace. Empower me by your spirit. Equip me and enable me in every situation I encounter today to live out grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried saying, this was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses. No one denies that. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. We're talking about two covenants here. The law came by Moses. No one denies that. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he had declared him. He brought him out, declared him to reveal who he is and what he's all about. Remember when Jesus was before Pilate and he said, I came to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate said, what is the truth? He didn't stick around long enough for Jesus to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he brought grace and truth. These two forces coming together. We need the truth of God's word. So that the power of the Holy Spirit of God, by the grace of God, can empower us to live it out in this earth. In third John, well, first of all, John 17, 17, notice these words of Jesus. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. It is so essential that we renew our minds to the truth, which is God's word. And that we exalt his truth or his word above circumstances, feelings, emotions, and anything the enemy tries to bring our way. We're not going to be deceived by the lies once again. Que sera, What will be, will be. No, we put a stop to that. We can take responsibility for our lives and for our actions. And we can believe that God will empower us to live out the truth in all areas of our lives. And look at 3 John 2. I'm sorry, 3 John verse 2 and 3. Only one chapter. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. This is the truth. And once again, when I hear all these others that are out there saying, I don't, does it rub you the wrong way when I hear all these health and wealth preachers? They talk about health and wealth preachers and try to put everybody down that talks about health and prosperity. I just get rubbed the wrong way when I hear that. I'm trying to think, what do they teach in their churches? How to be sick and poor. <laughs> We're having a sick and poor seminar. <laughs> Sign up. There's not enough room. But to turn people away. It, it's just, I don't get it. Now, I realize there are those that have taken it to an extreme. I understand that. But you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, do you? Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as your soul prosper. But look at the next verse. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. What is the truth? God wants us to prosper and be in health. Would you want your child to prosper and be in health? Or to be sickly and poor? No. But then I forgot to say that they always take up an offering when they get done with that seminar on how to be sick and poor. Right? Right. 
But God wants us to walk in the truth. You see, and here's how it happens. I'm going to close it right here. Look at Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. I know there's a lot of verses here, but let's kind of go through it a little bit at a time. If you then be risen with Christ, are you risen with Christ? That means you're dead and your life is hid with Christ and God, right? You're alive with him. You've been risen with him. He's talking about your spirit. Seek those things which are above. Set your sights high on the things that are above. Where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection, your mind, will, and emotions on things above, not on things on the earth. You are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. So what are we to do? Mortify, put to death, therefore your members which are upon the earth. Now here's where we get into all kinds of situations when we teach these things because people of the world don't think we should talk about these things because we're a progressive people now. We're living in a different time in a different culture. God has not changed. I didn't write it. You didn't write it. They didn't script it. I know they changed it for Hollywood movies. Have you seen the latest Noah? Don't. Don't. Transformers in a dinghy and a stowaway. A stowaway. Oh yeah, on the boat. Hollywood, that's all I can say. <laughs> Crazy. Well, what does he say to mortify? What does he say to put to death? Fornication. Top of the list. Uncleanness. Inordinate affection. Evil concupiscence. And covetousness, which is idolatry. See, when you, when you talk about those things and people get nervous, why? I, I guess in the world they just they, they think you're judging people. We're not judging anybody. We're saying what the Word says. I like to say it like this. When they say you don't love people, you're a hate group. You know what I want to say? You're the hate group because they're going to be lost to eternity and you don't care. You have no concern whatsoever about their lives. They're going to spend their eternity apart from God in a lake of fire forever. And you don't have enough guts to tell them. And you want to silence those that want to let them know. Okay? In the, which it goes on to say, For which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when you lived in them. What does that tell us? Transformation. We lived in them way back before Christ. But now that we're in Christ, it doesn't matter how progressive our culture gets. God does not change. His laws do not change. Nothing changes for him. But now also, to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that you put off the old man with his deeds. And I put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Notice it's renewed how? In the image of him that created him. And don't let that just fly by us. When he made man, he made man in his own image and likeness. 
You and I were made in the image of God. We have no clue how glorious that image was. Adam was a specimen. He could walk with God in the cool of the day and converse with him. Can you imagine the high position that he held? The glory that he was crowned with glory and honor, we're told. He was so crowned with glory, he could stand before the glory of God and not be consumed by his fire. Wow. Well, we put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. You know, we are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. The Bible says about Jesus that the fullness of the, of the Godhead dwells within him bodily, and you are complete in him. We have no idea what we're like on the inside. And you know what? We want to get it to the outside. Amen. It goes on to say, whether well, there's neither G Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all, put on therefore as elect of God, holy and beloved bowels and mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you. Notice how he always injects that. So also do ye. And above all these, put on charity, which is the bond of per perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts as an umpire, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. This is this new man. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And here it is. And whatever you do, whatsoever you do, do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by him. There's enough to transform us. Hallelujah. Amen. I have no idea how long I'm preaching. Let's stand up. <laughs> no clue. <laughs> Hallelujah.